Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again to another edition of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. I'm I'm really excited for folks to join in and check us out today as I'm with my friend, Justin Camp. Justin is doing some great stuff in that super cool techie area of California, and I'm not even going to go into much detail because he can talk about himself, and uh, I want to let the story come from him and not from me, but sometimes when I call people friend, I feel like we're friends because we've had dialogue through text, through an email loop, through some form of communication, and in this case, we've actually spent time together, so we got seven, eight days together in Montana, and I'm going to let you talk a little bit about that here in a little bit, but Justin, you run with Gather Ministries. You're known and I'm known initially to you, people let me know about you through Wire, which is a daily devotional that goes out, and you have written some books, and I'm super blessed to have finished yesterday, right in time for this interview, your latest book called Rescue, When God's Cavalry Arrives to Deliver You from Quiet Desperation, as the latest, I think it's number four of the Wire series for men, is that right? Is it number four or number three? Three. Number three, my right state math. I quickly got out of math in college because I wasn't real good at it. So I'm just proving that point right there. I don't even know if I'm good at communication. That's what my degree's in. But uh, well, that's why I'll shut up and let you go. So, Justin, tell a little bit about family, upbringing, testimony, and then I'll kind of pick it apart from there. Okay. Well, Jeff, it's awesome to be here. We are friends, dear friends. Um, and uh, you're just one of my favorite people in the world. So um, I'm super excited to be here. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump forward and then jump backwards. So I'm married to Jennifer. We run gather ministries together now. And, uh, we started in 2013. We have three kids, two in college and, um, one in high school, two boys in college, a freshman and sophomore. And then, uh, a, a little girl who's not so little anymore. She's a sophomore in high school here in, in, we, we live kind of in, you know, right at the bottom of the San Francisco peninsula, kind of right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. So my upbringing was actually in this area too. So I grew up in the same town that I live in now, just at the extreme southern end, and now I'm at the extreme northern end. But uh, went to school down in Los Angeles uh, for you know for undergrad, and then went back east for law school, and then worked on Wall Street for a little while as a, as a lawyer. I think it it was it was corporate law. It was with a you know big law firm there. We were doing you know we had you know airlines and oil companies, you know, as, as clients, as, as well as a lot of other folks. And uh, I quickly realized that I was surrounded by incredibly talented, incredibly smart people um, who I really, really enjoyed. I didn't enjoy the work so much, um, though it would have, I'm sure, gotten better over time. I was just, you know, a young, young lawyer then. And, uh, you know, the, the terrible stuff sort of, you know, is always kind of shunted down to the younger folks. But I, I also saw pretty quickly that that was um, that I was sort of amongst some people who are very, very smart and very, very talented. And their career trajectory was going to be somewhat different than mine because my heart just wasn't in it for some reason. Um, I think I was made to do something else. At that point, I had no idea what, what that was. And so I came back here. My dad uh, was an engineer. 
a PhD technologist, engineer. He had, he had uh, helped to start a couple of companies and he was investing in companies uh, back here in Silicon Valley. And so around that time, he was leaving his last company and going into investing, personal investing. He wasn't doing anything formal. It was just his own on his own. Um, and uh, and that, that change was at, well, you know, with a lot of encouragement for me. And then he kind of returned the favor and said, hey, you know, you're not super happy with your job. You guys are going to have kids soon. Why don't you come back to California? All of our family is back here in California. And uh, so Jennifer and I did. Uh, it took a while. I mean, I was it didn't that wasn't a, an easy decision to make. But over the course of about a year, um, we decided to come back here. And so I worked with him for about 15 years and we put a firm together and hired some folks and and uh, we invested in, you know, real early stage technology companies for about 15 years. Um, that discontent and that kind of sadness on the Monday morning driving into work didn't didn't go away. I think, you know, I, I figured it would uh, leaving Wall Street and coming back here. I, I figured I was solving it. And, and, and I, it was a year or two in that I realized that's still there. And so, you know, these things kind of build incrementally, almost imperceptibly. And over the course of maybe seven or eight years back here, I was kind of drowning in discontent. Jennifer was very busy. We had three kids, three very young kids. She was doing some volunteering at church. And she and I were a team in raising kids and somewhat in sort of being married, but we were just, we were just kind of missing each other in terms of um, just, you know, kind of a, a close, you know, relationship. We were just we were just kind of checking all the boxes and doing everything that culture, you know, expected us to do. And I think both feeling like something was wrong. And, and that was when I, you know, it was a cold January day that I, I finally listened to some friends of mine and got into community. They had been inviting me into, um, into men's community for a long time. Um, and finally I showed up and that's kind of what this book is all about. Uh, we can talk about that later, but that was a, the, for me, there was a before community and an after community and God really got a hold of my heart at that point. Within a few years, I actually felt so blessed by the rescue that was given to me by those men, by those brave and bold and honest men um, that I wanted to turn around and give that as a gift to other people as best I could. And so I left my venture capital job and started with Jennifer in 2013, Gather Ministries. And the whole idea is to say, hey, we've been given this tremendous gift by God and by these, you know, by these folks uh, who are uh, followers of, of his who have gone before us. And we just wanted to say, look, what, what can we do but offer that to other people? Um, and it's not like we don't get it. It's just a ton of meaning and purpose and joy in what we do. We absolutely do. But there is this feeling of gratitude in our hearts that we've been given something of tremendous value, you know, the treasure in the field, and we want to give that away to other people. So that's what we, what we are doing today. So talk about that moment in that boardroom when kind of all eyes are on you. I can't remember exactly if you kind of invited that in. I think kind of you did versus them kind of turning their eyes, their chair, their posture towards you. And there was just kind of this freedom to dream. And then these guys really speaking into your life and saying, Justin, this, this is it. Like yeah. you're, you're supposed to write, you're called to do because I yeah. mean, your story reminds me a lot of Payne Stewart, the golfer, which I'm not a huge golf fan, but I've always loved, I think I might've even told you that before. I've always loved kind of where you were with guys and you, you know, you weren't quick to jump in. I mean, it, you had been asked many times. It sounds like I'm guessing hundreds yeah. of times yeah. you never came. Then you showed up and you talk about early on, 
Um, I mean, I know this from knowing you, but you also talk about it in a book, Rescue, that's recently out, able to be purchased on Amazon, Justin Camp in one of many of his books. But all eyes are on you in that moment. What was that like? I mean, there had to be some kind of fear, like you're putting yourself out there, but there also had to be some real just freedom of like, you were looking to come alive and, and you had on paper all these reasons why everything should be clicking and you should be filled and you're living the American dream in some sense. And yet you said you were drowning in desperation. You were drowning in misery. You were drowning in not being fulfilled. Speak to that moment, like in that boardroom with those guys. Cause that's, that's so critical to what I'm doing daily and what I see and what I experience. And I just love the beauty that was in that. You know, I'll say just about that sort of discontent or that, that desperation that I was in, nothing was wrong, right? You know, according to culture, nothing was wrong. Jennifer and I were very good at marching to the drumbeat of culture and checking all the boxes that, you know, you learn from very early on, you're supposed to check, you know, I mean, go to the right schools, get a right, get the right job, get a, the right house in the right neighborhood, go on the right vacations. And like to say that it wasn't meeting the needs of Justin, the deep needs of Justin is such an understatement. It just, it just left me so sad. And, you know, one of the exercises in the book is to have people prayerfully read through the news on a given day and just see how much desperation and discontent is, is out there. Um, I actually did it this morning. I was, I was, you know, spending 10 minutes reading the news and just kind of praying over the news and everything. And people are hurting, you know, people are trying to sort of, you know, survive and get through the day, but this world is hurting. I think I try to convince myself a lot of times that uh, everything's okay and we're doing okay. And it's such, it's such a, there, it's such a striking comparison between the way the world should be where everyone is for you and quick to understand and quick to forgive and, and people are, you know, are, are have your interests in mind as much as theirs and everyone you meet, you know, on a store, a boss or a spouse or a, you know, mother-in-law, they're all are for you. That's not the world we live in. We live in a, in a world with, where there's, you know, a shadow across the land. And so I think I was in, you know, massive denial going into that, into that room, but something, something in my heart said, go there. I think it was the Holy Spirit aren't saying, just trust me tonight, go there. I went there sort of with teeth gritted, walked into that room, heard a bunch of guys not challenging me directly um, saying, Hey, you know, you, you know, here's what you need to do. You need to be open and honest and confess and do all this stuff. They didn't say anything like that. They just led by example and they were doing it. They were sitting there talking about stuff that nobody talks about pornography, uh, alcohol addiction, rage, you know, they were talking about stuff that men deal with every day and nobody talks about. And especially in the world that I lived in, I think most places men are, you know, not talking about that kind of stuff. And they talked about it openly and boldly. And you said, was there some fear? There was absolute sheer terror because I was sitting there saying, if I stay here, I'm going to have to do the same thing. I mean, I can't, I, I could come and be a liar, I guess, and just hide the whole time. But um, that would be terrible. And, and I, and I, you know, I, I, that wasn't really an option. So my two options were to flee and just never come back or stay. And I feel like I had been fleeing for a long time by just not showing up. And I was kind of done. I was in that desperate stage. And so I, I, I needed something. I had no idea what, I really didn't think anything was wrong, but looking back, I just see how unhappy I was. And I think deep down in my soul, I knew I was unhappy, but in my head, I was sitting there going, but nothing's super wrong, right? Everything's okay, you know? So I show up there and I think there was only one 
there was only one answer there was to stay and to start getting honest. And that scared me because I'd never, I'd never lived in that way before. There were, uh, you know, there were, there was, there was stuff in my past that I never confessed to anyone like all men, you know, there's just stuff that we never tell anyone about our, you know, the things that we've done and the things that we've been subject, subjected to. And so I thought, well, I, I, I guess I'll just keep coming. I'll, I'll keep coming and just kind of see how it goes. And in that see how it goes phase, like you said, there was so much life and just peace and joy and purpose that flooded into my life that the actual getting transparent became the easiest part. It wasn't easy. It was hard. It was very difficult because of all of the the ways that my culture and my weak flesh and just my, you know, everything. I, I didn't want to be open. I didn't want to be known. I wanted to control how other people saw me. But it became a lot easier because, first of all, men were showing me how and God was just flooding all of this love and care through these other men into my life and direction. I mean, like you said, they were just speaking truth. Now, this was over a few year period, but they were talking about calling and, and seeing in me that, you know, that that discontent may have been because I was doing things that culture told me to rather than thing God built me for and they could see you need to be writing like why aren't you writing not they didn't say it in a, in a in a way that was like you know why aren't you writing or something or even like you're so stupid for not writing or something but they just invited me into it and called me into it and said hey you need to be thinking about this you come alive when you talk about it and that kind of thing and so there was at once like you said there was this rush of life and goodness into my life into my marriage into my relationship with my kids into my into my uh, friendships but there was also this call to stand up and say okay and now to get more if you want more follow me you know if you've come this far maybe you'll come a little bit further and that little bit further was you know start being honest and so I started slowly slowly over time getting more and more honest until these guys knew me all the way uh, all the way to the worst worst parts of me and they still embrace me they're some of my closest friends today so it was a tremendous thing and something i did not expect going in there on that cold january day so much good in that so much good i've people just listen to that and nothing else they'd get plenty you know it's interesting so i did that exercise when you said that in the book i thought okay do i go to my local newspaper which doesn't have a lot of news do i go to usa today so what i did was where i get my news mainly this is sad or i don't know what but Facebook. So I went to the Facebook news thing and I stumbled across not too far down. There was only three or four stories in. There was, I think they were all bad. Maybe there were a couple sports stories, which depending on what sports it was and what team, it might be bad too. But there was a couple in Atlanta who had had a murder, a homicide or a suicide, mm -hmm. homicide, suicide deal, murder, suicide. And uh, it was, I think both or one of them, maybe the woman um, was a, uh, had a big following on social media. And you had kind of encourage people in the book to spend some time praying for that couple. So that's what I'm trying to do this week is pray for the follow-up to that couple. And you know, they both are dead. And I mean, just tragic. But I think what one of the things I think where you and I both kind of have a similar heart connection is understanding identity. You know, my theme mm -hmm. verse in life is Colossians 127. I think I probably told you that before. Christ yeah. in me, the hope of glory. And that just ministers to, it ministers with. If guys I spend time with, I'm sure you're the same with guys. If they understand identity, so much will be taken care of. Speak to your passion, your heart, your focus on our identity in Christ. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, it it is something I care in, enormously about. I the you know the first book in the Wire series is called Invention, and it's it's all about identity. 
I think what I didn't know going into that room and months later sort of would come out of that conference that we met in that same conference room, we called it the cave because it was, uh, it was this kind of 1980s, you know, building very sort of austere, a lot of glass and marble type building. But in that, uh, uh, conference room, everything for some reason, somebody got the bright idea of wallpapering everything except for the table and the chairs uh, and the floor uh, with faux stone wallpaper. So the wastebasket, the walls, the there was a lamp in there that had some on it. And so we it just it, we called it the cave. But we met in that thing in, in that place. And I think what I didn't know going in there that first night was who who I was. I had no sense of true identity. I thought I was all alone. I thought everything was up to me. I viewed this dark world that we live in as, you know, super competitive, which it is, and just, you know, a brutal sort of um, random. And, I, and Jeff, I, as you know, I grew up and I grew up, go, you know, going to church. I grew up in a family that was a Christian home. And, and still, I, I was relying on what other people told me about God. I didn't have a very close relationship with God. I'd, I'd sat through hundreds, thousands, maybe of sermons, you know, and heard, you know, second and third hand about who God is. But what I learned is through those men is who God really is. And by extension, who I am, because who he is, is a father and who I am is a son. And that father, you know, when he was setting the foundations of the earth, set me as the focus of his love. I am not only a son, I'm a beloved son. And, you know, during the eons that he's dreaming about me from the time that he set me as, as the focus of his love and set you as the, as the focus of his love, each one of us personally, there was a lot of time he was thinking and dreaming about who we would be and what we would do. And, and we all have different personalities and different experiences and, and, and different, uh, you know, natural talents and different spiritual gifts. Those are by design by a loving father who dreamt about things that we would do and journeys that we would go on in our life. And so tapping into that, tapping into that belovedness, first of all, that sonship and that belovedness, and then by, you know, and then going even further into, okay, God, who did you dream me to be? You know, what did you dream that I would do with my life? You know, that idea is what took me from being a lawyer and a venture capitalist into you know, being somebody who talks about God and writes about God all the time. So I think it's tremendously important. And I will also say that discontent level, which I was drowning in. So if it was a, you know, on a scale of one to 10, I was probably at a 10. Fear and sadness, all that were very high every day, uh, though my financial life, I think, was much more certain. I was, you know, operating a venture capital firm that where I knew what my income was going to be you know, three quarters from now, six quarters from now, I knew exactly what it was going to be. Now I run a, you know, ministry nonprofit, I have no idea how we're going to put bread on the table. And my fear level is, you know, under a one on a scale of one to 10, my discontent le level is under a one on a scale of one to 10. I mean, it's not even, you know, something that I think about almost ever. And so that where does that come from? It comes from that knowing that I'm a son, knowing that I am beloved, and starting every day and starting every conversation from that, I walk in there with my dad, my heavenly dad, and he's really good. And he's got my back. And, and uh, though life may be hard, I get to walk into every situation with him. And he knows me so well that he gives me the opportunities to engage in things that are meaningful and purposeful. And so that discontent and that fear just are, are greatly 
greatly lessened by just knowing how it greatly decreased by knowing how, you know, and who you are and, and, you know, how much you're loved. I want to tie a couple things together since I'm going to have to combine some questions here, just because I know I want to get through a lot of stuff here with you. There's a lot, so much good we could talk about here. So I want to tie Holy Spirit into some words I came up with. And some of these you've heard me refer to you before, but when I think of you, Justin, I think of the word, the word wonder is always going to be the first word that comes to my mind. I told you, I remember sitting on those couches, looking at you one time. I forgot what the question was or what we had just done. I think we just spent some time alone with the Lord. And just the look of wonder was all over you. And particularly another time when you were just looking at Jackson as your son. Robust. I, I think the word robust would fit how we describe your faith. You Obviously, you're a California guy. You got that nice beard and mustache that's only looking better all the time. A little bit more salt than maybe when I last saw you. The pepper's, yeah, the pepper's a little less. The salt's a little more. But you're earthy. Um, this is a great compliment I can give you. You, you kind of have a Tozer-esque thing about right, you that is, yeah, who's not going to take that compliment? And just organic. In fact, it's kind of praying us through yesterday and thinking of our time. I was thinking of the song by Will Reagan in United Pursuit called Set a Fire. And I think I included that link in there to you just so you saw it ahead of time. And, right. you know, there's a part in there where they go, I want more, I want more, I want more of you, God. I just think that sums you up well. Yeah. So tying that into the Holy Spirit. You tell a great story in there. I love this story. And I just, I, I think and hope for both of us, we want to be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit going into something. And, and like I said, think of this in light of that lens of the words I used to describe you. You asked a guy who had led one of your groups, who you really respect and said, okay, I'm getting ready to start this group. Tell me everything I need to know about leading a group. And I can picture me doing something similar, walking in, yellow legal pad, probably multiple pins to make sure if one loses ink, you're good to go. And he basically says, invite Holy Spirit in to each meeting at the beginning. And you're kind of like, okay, what else? And he's like, you'll be great if you do that. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I made up my list in my head. Here were all the things I would have said. Right. His first, and I'm just like, I find that to be true more and more in my life, more sensitive to the Holy Spirit I am in a moment, talking to the girl behind the counter at Panera, you know, going to the gap, whatever it is. God just opens stuff up and gives me eyes to see in a way I don't. So speak to that idea through the wonder, robust, earthy, Tozer-esque, organic, more of you, God mentality you have. No, oh, man, I appreciate all of those. Those are uh, just, I don't know. You put those words in an email last night in the, in the Will Reagan song. I've been listening to that. It's one of my favorites. I mean, I feel like when somebody says, hey, tell, you know, like if I'm leading a group or, or somebody says, what's your favorite song? You know, those words are always coming to my mind that, you know, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I've experienced that fire of the Holy Spirit in my heart. And it's just never bad. It's always, it always leads me into something better, you know, more healing, more excitement, more purpose, more joy, more meaning, more significance, you know? And so anyway, more peace. So thank you for that song. I've been listening to it. Last night, I was listening to it this morning. I, I, I do feel like it's kind of an anthem for my life. I love Tozer. Tozer's like a mentor across the ages, for, you know, to me. So to answer your question, you know, this book is really around, you know, kind of, if, if I had to boil it down to one thing, it's, it's around this kind of often forgotten fact. And I think it's something that I was incredibly, you know, naive about or just neglectful about which is, so Jesus shows up 
to, into this dark world. His, you know, the world in Galilee and and uh, Canaan and and Jerusalem of you know uh, two thousand years ago was very much like ours. Lots of darkness. You know, there's slavery, there's war. You know, there's the corrupt politicians. You know, all the stuff that we have today. And uh, he, you know, people are desperate and they're coming to him and they're thronging him. You know, they're just they. You know, there are pictures of. Like he's, he's there, you know, when he's, he's in a house, people are just jamming into the house. You know, there's the picture that, you know, people not being able to get in and they tear the roof apart and lower their friend down. People are just, you know, desperate for Jesus. And then he leaves so quickly, you know, and, he, and he's gone. And, and I think people are sitting there saying, oh my gosh, is it, are we, are, is it done? You know, we had, we had the answer and the answer was Jesus and now he's gone. Um, what about all the people who couldn't get to him, you know? And, and he goes, well, it's better that I leave because, and here's the fact, here's the often neglected fact, he puts his spirit into each one of our hearts. So that Holy Spirit in each one of us makes every interaction that we have with another person very different, right? I mean, God is in me and God is in you, and I can be a conduit of God's love and wisdom to you in a moment. And I think when I walk into most situations, at least some of the time now, and uh, certainly all the time before, you know, I kind of woke up to God's presence in my life, I thought I was walking into most situations all alone. And I thought I was walking into, you know, when I had to offer my words, they were my words, you know, but if I just calm down and just sort of say, hey, I'm walking in with God in my heart and, and let him work the way we are supposed to work in partnership as a father and a son together, you know, things happen that wouldn't happen otherwise. And so that's what, that's what a lot of this book is about, is uh, just allowing God to work in a way that is miraculous and unbelievable. And I think we kind of forget every once in a while that God is in me and God is in you, and, and we can interact with God very very easily. You know, bon there's the Bonhoeffer quote that I put in the book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, you know, when I turn to my brother, I turn to God. Do we believe that? You know, I mean, because if we do, if we just give him a crack the door open in our hearts to believe that a little bit on it, you know, every once in a while, we'll see God, we'll experience him. So I'm super excited about this. I apologize. I just get rambling. And I, I totally forgot what even the question was. No, you answered it. You answered it. That was good. I was just talking about the Holy Spirit and <laughs> Holy Spirit's, I, I, I like how you said, you know, people want more of Jesus and like, hold on, hold on. You're going to get something even greater because I can't be everywhere, so to speak. And yet the Holy Spirit can do it all. So now that was good. So let me ask you about this. So, so we meet because a couple people told me I need to read this thing called wire. And as I got familiar with you a little bit, I'm in Panera one day. I think we had scheduled a phone call and we talked for like an hour yeah. and when I got towards the end of that call, I really felt like, again, Holy Spirit said, you need to tell him about Montana. And that was not really on my agenda to talk to you about, but just through our conversations and we, we got real and honest about some father-son stuff. I throw this thing out and next thing I know you're in. And I'm like, what? How did that just happen? Talk to me yeah. about even that. Like, as we're talking Holy Spirit, well, what happened so in that moment with you on that phone call? That was a great example of God in my heart and God in your heart, because like I typically, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, kind of private person typically. And, and uh, I don't, you know, I think you sent me an email or, or just called or something. I don't know, but it was, it was very much a Jeff Pinkleton move to uh, <laughs> you're such a networker and you're so open 
to listening to those nudges in your heart and you did and for some reason i picked up the call and we had a we had a you know an hour long call and i was getting super vulnerable about my relationship with jackson and you ushered me into that it's not something i would typically talk about with somebody i had i didn't even know you at that point and then you invited me to montana and i was like yeah i think i should go i had i had no idea who you were and i was just like that was just you kind of in your in your jeffness in your glory being you know inviting me into something but it was you being willing to recognize that there might be something more going on here and you said okay here's a nudge i'm going to call justin or i'm going to email justin and then i was like huh you know i'll see what this call is about and then when you invited me to go to montana i was like i should listen to that you know it was just a just this you like i said you just have to crack the door a little bit and and then you get to see god you get to see tremendous things and so so Jackson and I, Jackson was my oldest at that point. He must have been like 16 or something back then. And then, um, you know, we ended up going to Montana. You know, I started going, you know, this was like nine months before we actually went, that we had this conversation. And so many months went by where you and I didn't have any contact. We had that phone call. I said, yes. I talked to Chris a little bit who runs the New Frontier um, but, uh, I had, there were many months that transpired between when I jumped on a plane with Jackson and I started going, wait, what did I sign up for? <laughs> wait, who's Jeff and everything? Who's Chris? And we, I kind of panicked right before. And I'm like, what am I doing here? What am I, what is this? And we still went and it was life-changing. I mean, I met you just, you know, I met Rob, you know, met Rob, Chris. Rue, let's give him a shout. I already sent him a picture of you and I having this call right now. Oh man, just this, some of my favorite, seriously favorite people in the entire world I met on that trip. And Jackson and I had a fantastic time. There was so much healing between the two of us. He's very much like me. And so people tell me that he, uh, he needs to, to be a healthy person. He needs to identify with me and he needs to individuate from me, which mm. means he needs to do this. And to do that, he needs to kind of reject a little bit of who dad is. Mm. And he and I were buddies. And I just, I was not handling that rejection very well at that time. And he and I, he had gotten to the point in his life where he could kind of understand what I was going through and I could understand what he was going through with more clarity. And we came together, the Holy Spirit brought us together on that trip. And that was, that was the beginning of just a change in our relationship. And uh, there is a closeness and an intimacy between the two of us that's, that's amazing and just growing these days. So that was for my family, that, that phone call that you made, um, that the Holy Spirit whispered into your heart to make had enormous ripple effects that you, that were just beyond anything that, you know, you knew in that moment, but you listened, you know, and, and, uh, it was huge. We got to stop and you're pulling my heart back because now I'm, I can feel it in my heart right now getting ready for, uh, July when I go back with, uh, Alex for our, that'll be, I'll have number three checked off the box, but I'm, I'm super excited because, uh, we've, we've been close for many years and now I'm going through when you mentioned the individuate, which is the separation thing a little bit, I'm going through some of that with him, not by my choice, but you can kind right. of see where it's happening with sports and friends and potentially changing our schooling situation next year. But, uh, man, my heart just feels like it's already kind of moving that direction and yet where it's going to be opened up in a way that I may not be ready for. So you're, you're doing a good work just by answering that question. So let me, give me a one minute answer on this next question before we jump into the, what I like to call the rapid five. What, yeah. what is it like for you, Justin, to write? Because you've done a lot of writing devotionally. And then you write books because in this book, you, you, you do a phenomenal job of telling some great stories, but you're obviously a history military buff. Uh, you lean into those type of 
obviously rescue stories, but then you made some up. So some are fictitious versus writing for yourself, just kind of journaling that may evolve into one of those two, but you're doing some writing in some different lanes. How do you kind of compare and contrast what that's like? Give me about a minute on that one. I think they're actually very similar. You know, the devotional writing, uh, you know, wire um, versus writing a book. I think, I think it's all a very, very similar process, actually. What I'm doing is I'm partnering with God and I am trying to use my interest and somewhat, you know, whatever skill I have as a writer to give something interesting to men so that they'll open up that little, that crack in the door to the Holy Spirit. So what I'm, my focus with wire is to make it short and to make it, you know, jam packed with, with scripture and, and, uh, and heart, you know, I, I feel like my, my, my time out there in the world as a lawyer and a venture capitalist, I understand what guys are going through. I think um, I get, I get the fears, I get the struggles. And so I try to meet them right where they are with a bunch of scripture and a bunch of, you know, logic and, and, and heart as well to open up that, that, that door just a little bit. So it takes about a minute to read wire. So I'm asking guys, give me a minute. And uh, a lot of guys give me that minute. Thankfully, we have about 125,000 guys that read that twice a week. And then rescues just give me, you know, three hours, four hours, whatever it takes to read the book. I mean, I'm a slow reader, so it takes me a long time, but lots of guys can read it faster than that. And that's just opening the door just slightly more. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, if, if, I'm, if I'm asking guys for three or four hours, um, then I need to give them more, you know. And so those stories are important. You know, I love I got to interview a woman who's a great storyteller, Karen Kingsbury, and uh, the, the other day. And she said, oh, I'm going to butcher what she said, but I love it. She said, you know, when Jesus wanted to tell somebody something, he just told them outright. When he wanted to get their attention, he might turn over a table. But when he wanted to touch their heart, mm. he wanted to impact their life, he would tell a story. Wow. And I just feel like I love telling stories. I absolutely love it. And so in rescue, you know, there are all these stories of these rescue teams, and they're all focused on that moment of rescue. When all hope is lost, this team of overwhelming, you know, force and overwhelming capability shows up and snatches you from the darkness. You know, you're stuck in a glacier, you know, and you're mm. hundred feet down yeah. and you think all hope's lost and you're going to die. And these, you know, mountain rescue team shows up and, you know, shows up in a helicopter and they, you know, rappel down and get you. There are a bunch of these stories because why not to just tell those stories though they are, they are interesting stories. These are heroic people, men and women doing amazing things. It's because that's what God is doing for us mm. on a daily basis. We live in this tough world and God is there through his people to rescue us when we need it. Yeah, there's a few of those stories in the book. The timeline of how and when things needed to happen are pretty remarkable. And by the way, speaking of time, if somebody's reading this book, Rescue, in three hours, I want to meet them because they're clearly not highlighting. They're clearly not taking notes. They're clearly it's, not doing exercises. So don't do that to me, Justin. That's painful. <laughs> that you're if they comprehend better than me in three hours, that book, I want to meet them. So, um, I sure couldn't do that, even if I wasn't oh, highlighting. My so. goodness, no doubt. <laughs> hey, let's go to these rapid five. I call them five questions. They're yeah. quick, silly, and, fun. And can I can I annotate any of my answers at all, or, or do I just need to give you an answer with no? no you, you can give it a short sentence. That's you're good. Okay, great. Favorite childhood snack or cereal? You know, I think I had. So you you emailed me these last night. I I think I have to go with Big League Chew. Wow. <laughs> 
I don't think that's either <laughs> one. Bubble gum. Maybe we'll make I, uh, a fitness snack. As a there. kid, I just I love sports, and yeah. there was something magical about that. When I got a pouch of gum and I could just get in there and get a whole thing in there, I felt like I was trans. You talk about wonder. There was something uh-huh. magical about Big League Chew. So I'm going to go with uh, with that one. I don't it, know. It just that's came the back. First a, thing came in my head. It just came back a few years ago, I think, and it kind of came back strong and fruity flavors, a bunch of funky flavors, and yeah, I, I got some of that. Yeah. What is your favorite book, not by Justin Camp, that you most like the gift to other people? Oh, that's a really good one. So uh, like I said, I'm a huge Tozer fan. Uh, I feel like like he's a father figure to me. I don't gift his book very often. Um, John Eldridge has been mm. uh, a friend and a mentor, you know, not across the ages, but across, you know, face to face. And uh, his book, uh, Wild at Heart, I think impacted my life more than any other book other than the Bible. I don't gift it very often. The book that I give out the most is Brennan Manning's Ragamuffin Gospel. Mm. I feel like the compassion and the mercy that is in that book and wow. just the understanding of, of belovedness, of sonship and belovedness, I don't think there's a book out there that is better at meeting a man or a woman who doesn't understand that. I think that book helps you understand in a way that none other does. Sorry, that was more than a sentence. You know what? A book you might want to check out. I can't remember who the author was, but there's a it's one of the biographies about Rich Mullins since Brenna Manning and Rich Mullins somehow are put together. I read that Rich Mullins bio. I think it was James. Was it James Smith? I forgot which guy right. it was. Somebody wrote that wrote it. Uh, you, you'll know which one. We could trade messages if not. But um, great book about Rich Mullins' life that I read on my awesome. sabbatical. So, okay, the Camp it. family is heading out. They're going from point A to point B. If you're like us, it never goes the way it's supposed to is what time we're going to stop and where we're going to stop, or there's a bathroom break. And now we got to might as well just eat. And you come to this exit sign and it says these three places, Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out, McDonald's. Where's the camp family going? All right. So for some reason, so I used to go to McDonald's and Burger King and all this when I was growing up, we go on a ski trip or whatever. I didn't, we didn't go very often, but whenever we were out traveling, that's what we would do. And so I have a I'm astounded by my kids going, no, we can't go to, oh, t- you know, McDonald's is terrible. It's terrible food. It's terrible. And so we never, I mean, I don't know if our kids have ever had McDonald's, which is just crazy to me. They would uh, love in and out If there was only in and out they would be very, very happy. And I would be very, very happy. Amen. But there is something about Chick-fil-A and my kids, like in the line, maybe 45 minutes long or something. They'll be like, no, we got to We got to wait in the line. So I can tell you where we would go. I'm not sure it's where I would want to go. I'd probably rather stop it in and out and grab a burger and be gone and, and on the road again, trying to, you know, check things off the list. But um, we would absolutely go to Chick-fil-A. There you go. There you go. Because I do what my kids want to do. As long as, as long as it's in, a, in and out or Chick-fil-A, I'm fine. But I think in and out's when people either think it's overrated or they think it's great. And I definitely oh, I think love, it's great. And oh, I'm huge in and out fan. I'm jealous. You probably get it way more often than I would. Care. I'm a California guy. That's man. right. You get it. So what's the movie that gets you and pulls you in every time when you, this movie's on stumble across it. Like I got to watch it. You know, I'm going to say the, the, uh, series, uh, you know, HBO series, um, band of brothers. I mean, I'm talking about rescue stuff. I'm talking yeah. about, you know, teams and, and brotherhood. And, and obviously that, that movie is a lot about brotherhood. I'm just starting it again through the holidays. It's just, you know, whenever I have a downtime, I'm going to go, you know, turn it on. Um, there are times where, you know, between a football game or whatever, and the next one, or, you know, the kids don't need me for a little while. And Jennifer, you know, are going to go out and get a beer, but I got 45 minutes before she's ready or something. I'll go turn that on. Um, that's, that's probably my favorite, but I gotta tell you, I have, I mean, you could, you could do a rapid fire, you know, uh, question of what are your top hundred in that mm. category movies. And I could, t- I could go through a hundred. So there are a lot, but right now 
I, I always just, I, I just get sucked in by the, no. by the band brother series. love it. Well, fathering a daughter, I'll have to say the, the, uh, King Richard about, about, uh, the, the Williams. Yeah, sisters. I haven't seen it yet. Just saw awesome. it. It's really good. I, I was very impressed. Probably makes him a little more likable than what probably he's been presented in the media up to this point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, it was a good flick. So last but not least, very important question. Your first celebrity crush. Oh man. I think it had to be uh Christy Brinkley. You know, I mean, wow. I, I remember watching uh You and Billy Joel. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. I remember watching um, her in uh, Vacation, you know, with Chevy Chase and just being like, who is that? And so I, I remember having a poster up on my wall. My parents used to tease me about it. My sister used to tease me about it. I mean, good good natured ribbing, but I think that's what it has to be. I I I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hate that question. (laughs) Talk about uh, it's a great I got to ask every time I every time I think I need to bail on it. I'm like, no, I got to I got to keep it here. So you mentioned Eldridge. There's Heart of a Warrior. There's a bunch of books out there and and they're all good. Why is rescue? Do you think so important? And people should slide that into the list like Band of Brothers as far as watching something and then maybe hit on real quick. One of your other books. Give us give us like the 92nd version of of two books there. At one point, Jesus you know, it's right after the the rich young ruler, Jesus says, you know, sell everything and follow me. And, you know, Peter talks about, you know, we kind of did that. And Jesus is like, yeah, and anybody who, who gives up, you know, what they have in this world and follows him will be rewarded with, you know, 100x of what, what they could, what, what they would have otherwise, which is, you know, he lists them, sisters, brothers, fathers, uh, mothers, you know, fields, um, you know, all the things that sort of met needs in, a, in the ancient world. Um, and helped you be a human being that could survive, uh, you know, in, in that time, you're going to get hundred X back. I believe that when we let, let go a little bit, crack the door open, get into community that we receive something that's a hundred times what we could get just, you know, going and playing golf with our buddies or, you know, playing poker with our buddies, we get something of tremendous value and we need it. We're desperate people. I mean, that's one reason I, I have people pray over the news is because we have to understand how dark the world is and how tough things are and just, you know, how much people are hurting and admit this a little bit, admit it. And, you know, when we look around at our fellow human beings and have mercy on them for how much they're hurting, but also ourselves. And the answer is the answer is God and God wants to meet our needs and help us and rescue us mostly through his people. It's why he didn't stay around. He put himself into us. He became us by putting his spirit into our hearts. And uh, so I want people to experience that hundred X. I want it. I want people to understand how just by doing life together and letting people in um, we can experience God and experiencing God. I mean, geez, what else is there other than encountering the God of the universe? So I mentioned invention. I'll mention Odyssey. So Odyssey is the second book in the uh, Wire series. And that's all about kind of, you know, the sacred pilgrimage, you know, going into the wilderness or hitting the road, you know, when you get that whisper into your heart, uh, you know, that invitation to come see God face to face. And so people have been doing these, you know, picking up and walking to Jerusalem, you know, these pilgrimages for 2000 years, more than that, to just go you know, they get, they get discontented with their life or they get a fire in their, you know, they get the fire, de- you know, set the fire down, you know, in my soul that I can't contain and they can't mm. control. And, and that impel, impels them to go out and, 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 you know, hit the road and, and go meet God somehow. And he shows up. And so that whole book is about, in, you know, encouraging men to figuratively or literally, you know, whether it's your backyard or whether it's going in, you know, into the Yosemite wilderness, you know, alone with a backpack, 
is get out there and meet God one-on-one and, uh, you know, stop relying on God secondhand or thirdhand. We just don't need more information. We just need a person. We need a dad. We need an encounter with him. And so all these books are super practical, you know, whether you're talking about identity with invention, it leads guys through exercises so that you leave each chapter with a gift. You know a little bit more about who you are after the chapter. Odyssey, it leads you through how to go on one of these journeys, whether it's, like I say, figurative or literal. And then rescue, you know, it, it's, I think it's very practical in terms of building a rescue team, building a team of, you know, a band of brothers, guys who are with you no matter what. Um, and they're going to, I'll just say, when you do that, you're not building it. God is. And they're going to look a little different than you think they're supposed to look. And that's perfect. I love the fact that it's a series and each one of them would add great value. And I think you'd be well on your way as a man digging into all three. So what's, is there a next book coming out? What's number four? You know, I have no idea. We call it, so it was, it was uh, supposed to be called the trilogy. It was the wire trilogy and uh, David C. Cook, the good folks at David C. Cook, the, the folks that are publishing it, wanted to call it a series just to leave the door open for number four. I have no idea. God hasn't whispered Mm. in my heart about that at all. I would be open to doing that. It's got to be a little bit of time because I'm a little burnout. We did uh, Odyssey and Rescue back to back and uh, I love how they turned out, but I'm a little bit burnout from from I love that you're not forcing that. I am going to spend the next couple of years doing stuff that I've been pushing to the side. So really shoring up, you know, we have, you know, about eight people that work for us at Gather and and uh, there are a lot of pieces out there, like I'm going to do a rewrite, uh, refresh on the wire uh, devotional and go back and look at all those and, you know, probably publish them in some form. But, uh, you know, just a lot of the stuff that, that got neglected. We, we, uh, we, we have an interview site where we interview really yeah. interesting folks. They're all written interviews, not podcasts. Those are great, interviews. by the way. I love those. Yeah, we get to interview some amazing people and I just need to spend some time on that and making sure that is humming. And, you know, we got a a bunch of stuff for, you know, just putting wind behind Jennifer's sales, my wife, Jennifer, you know, and all the stuff that she's doing. She's a, she's an incredible voice out there. And I love, I love helping her uh, doing what she's doing. So I have no idea what's next. And I think that's really good for me because when I start planning out the next five years, you know, people say, where are you going to be in five years? I'm like, I don't know, but my, but my father does, my father in heaven does. And I'm just trying to follow him on a day-to-day basis. When Justin gets out there and starts laying plans, they're often, you know, they're often driven by ambition and uh, not by what God is, is mm. doing on a daily basis. So I just try to get up every day and say, where are we going dad today? So, so with that as a close, you stay in your lane very well. I appreciate that you've talked about the holy dissatisfaction and you were level 10 if we treat 1 Corinthians 11, 1 for what it is, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, staying very focused in that, what would you want people to follow you in as you follow the Lord? Where would people learn well about following you? Well, okay, so what I would want people to do, if I could give guys one piece of advice in terms of something that I did um, that I think would benefit them greatly, it, it's just get into community. I mean, geez, we don't, like like that whole comment about, invite the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do a ton. The, the Holy Spirit's in me, the Holy Spirit's in you. All we need to do is get together. Mm. Um, so getting into community, you don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to have the right study. You don't have to have anything really going. You could just get together and the Holy Spirit in me is going to interact with the Holy Spirit in you and great things are going to happen. Where people can kind of learn more about stuff, you know, I mean, geez, Gather Ministries is the hub of everything we do. You know, you can learn about our books. You can you can sign up for Wire. You can sign up for Loop, which is the devotional for women. Uh, Wire is for men. Um, our podcast, we have an SMS text thing where people can get encouraging texts. 
and in our interview site, wrapped interviews, you know, so all of that's there. So yeah, you can learn a lot more about Justin. Uh, yeah. I don't know. My testimony, I love telling it because I love how good God is. Mm. When, when I start thinking about other people imitating me, I'm like, no, don't, <laughs> don't make all the mistakes I made. But I did do a few things right in terms of just surrendering and, and letting God into my heart. And uh, I hope men do that. Amen. Well, I, I think there's no doubt. I don't hesitate at all that people could be doing a first Corinthians 11, one thing with you. So Justin, it's been great, man. I could do another hour and Justin look forward to catching up offline. Thank you for the investment of rescue. It, it, it was an investment in me and I'm better for having read it. Hopefully the fruit in that will, will bear as well. So I appreciate you. Uh, ho- hopefully we get a chance to be at Burke Fork Ranch again at some point Absolutely. sooner than later. Absolutely. Thank you for having me All on. Right. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.